um, series um, Doctrine, Seducing Spirits and Doctrines of Devils um, through um, the book of First Timothy. Um, however, there is some other research I need to do outside of the Bible, um, doing some research on some things um, for um, the message in particular um, on the topic that's um, being next. So doing a different message um, today um, from Isaiah chapter 22. Isaiah 22, it deals with Judah and Jerusalem. Um, just so I don't forget, um, in two weeks we'll be having a church and um, administration meeting um, following the um, church services. And so that'll be in um, two weeks on Sunday after church, going over second quarter um, financial report. Isaiah 22, verse 15, says, Thus saith the Lord God of hosts, Go get thee unto this treasure, even unto Shebna, which is over the house, and say, What hast thou here, and whom hast thou here? That thou hast hewed thee out a sepulchre here, as he that heweth him out a sepulchre on high, that graveth an habitation for himself in a rock. And so Shebna here, um, being the treasurer, or as others would call it, a steward um, for the king, would basically kind of be seen as the second one. Um, in charge as far as overseeing um, those that the king um, possesses and the, the, the land possesses. So it's a very high and noble position and God has Isaiah um, give him a message and, and it's dealing with his pride, his arrogance that here while he's supposed to be working, so he's building this tombstone um, that is usually reserved for like kings themselves um, and making this very elaborate tombstone with his name on it and, and carving his name in the rock. Um, they've actually discovered this rock, this tomb um, that was really giant around this location in the 1800s. The name was all um, it was missing, but some suspect it's possible it could have been his tomb that he had been working on building, but never was buried there, because he would then die um, in another land, as we'll see in But behold, the Lord will carry thee away with a mighty captivity, and will surely, will surely cover thee. He will surely violently turn and toss thee like a ball into a large country, um, like we Assyria. Um, there shalt thou die, and there the cherries of thy glory shall be the shame of thy Lord's house, and I will drive thee from thy station, and from thy state shall he pull thee down. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will carry my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with thy robe, and strengthen him with thy girdle, and I will commit thy government into his land, and he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to the house of Judah, and the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder, so he shall open, and none shall shut, and he shall shut, and none shall open. And I will fasten him as a nail 
in a sure place, and he shall be for a glorious throne to his father's house, and they shall hang upon him all the glory of his father's house, the offspring and the issue, all vessels of small quantity, and the vessels of cups given to all the vessels of flagons. In that day, said the Lord of hosts, shall the nail that is fastened in the sure place be removed, and be cut down, and fall, and the burden that was upon it shall be cut off, for the Lord has spoken. Let just give a little bit of a background here. The people of Judah were behaving like their pagan neighbors. So it was only right that Isaiah would include them in the list of nations that God would judge. And we do see that, yes, in his mercy, the Lord would deliver Jerusalem from the Assyrian um, uh, uh, army um, after they were in captivity for a while, but he would not deliver them from Babylon for a longer period of time. And Isaiah points out two particular sins that would cause Judah to decline and ultimately go into captivity in Babylon. Um, and first would be the unbelief of the people. That the people didn't really have the confidence in the Lord. They didn't believe it was going to happen. In Isaiah's day, um, Jerusalem was considered a joyous city um, on the outside as people engaged in all kinds of celebrations. In chapter 22, where we're at in verse 13, uh, their motto was, Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we shall die. And so they're just like, you know, we're just going to celebrate, we're just going to be joyful, we're going to die one day in the future, and just party on. But the prophet did not participate in the parties, for he saw a day coming when death and destruction would reign in the city of David. The people went up to the housetops, but the prophet went down into one of the three valleys around Jerusalem, as you see in verse 1, it's just a burden of chapter 22 verse 1 the burden of the valley of vision and so Isaiah went down in the valley to receive a vision from God while everyone else is partying on their housetops and in the vision he saw people dying as in verse 2 mentions not from battle wounds at first um, but as you see it plays out but from famine from disease and then captivity. Uh, he saw the nation's rulers fleeing in fear to see enemy army approach. Um, you also see this in chapter 25. The people would do everything possible to prepare for this long siege. Um, in verse 8 to 11, we see they're collecting armor, they're fortifying their walls, they're servicing the water supply, and they're building a water reservoir between the walls. But all of that preparation would not deliver them from the enemy that would eventually take them into captivity. The people did everything they could in their power, in their might, except trust the Lord. Instead of feasting, they should have been fasting, weeping, putting on sackcloth, and repenting of their sins. God had sent the nation many prophets to warn them, but the people would not listen. Now it was getting too late. Their sins could not be forgiven because their hearts had already hardened to the point where they were no longer seeking after the Lord. 
Judah would go into captivity, and God's word to Isaiah would be fulfilled. Um, that was given to him in chapter 6, verse 9 to 13. Besides the unbelief of the people, the other sin was the unfaithfulness of their leaders. Uh, um, have the leaders been faithful to the Lord and called the people to repentance? There might have been hope, um, but there was only the prophets that would preach. Um, and But the kings, the rulers, the leaders were not. And said there were many false prophets as well. Too many of the leaders were like Shemna, thinking only of themselves. The treasurer, or steward, Shemna, was second to King Hezekiah in authority, but he used his authority, um, and possibly the king's money, to build himself a monumental tomb, and to acquire the chariots. Shemna was not a spiritual man, it is possible, some suspect, that he even sided with the pro-Egypt party in Judah. We see that God judged Shemna by demoting him, and that instead of being a secretary um, in chapter 36, he's demoted to be a scribe, and then disgracing him, and then eventually deporting him. Eventually, as the Bible said in verse 18, he was thrown like a ball into a great country, where he would die. He cannot have that expensive funeral and be buried in that elaborate tomb as he had planned. We see that God chose a new man, Eliakim, which means God will raise up. And so we see that Shema is demoted, put down, taken away from his authority, perishes, and then God raises up Eliakim, which is what his name means, and, and called him my servant. And instead of exploiting the people, he would be a father to them and use his key, the key, keys of David. Um, the, it says, in the key of the house of David, who I lay upon his shoulder, so he shall open and none shall shut, and he shall shut and none shall open. And we see this as kind of like a, a precursor prophecy where Jesus in Revelation says, Behold, I have the keys of David that no man can open or shut except for him. And what do we end up seeing with Christ? That he ends up being cut off as we see with Eliakim um, in, ver in verse 25 that there would be a day Say of the Lord of hosts, shall the now that is fastened in the sure place be removed and be cut down and fall, and the burden down was upon it shall be cut off, for the Lord has spoken it. He liked him, he was a faithful man, but either through him falling later on, or Judah itself falling, and he could not bear that burden anymore. One day, Jesus would bear the burden of being removed, being put to death. But then God raised him up again the third day. But while Eliakim was alive, he would use his key, his authority, for the good of the nation. It was, as the Bible says, he would be like a dependable nail hammered into the wall on which you could hang many burdens. But when a God leader like Eliakim could not prevent the ultimate fall of Judah, for one day the whole nation would fall. 
And he's called my servant, a godly man, who is a faithful man. And then the Bible uses the illustration of a nail. Of a nail in a sure place. And that's what Eliakim was compared to as. The nail in a sure place, holding something fast. He was faithful. Um, Proverbs 28, 20 says that faithful man shall abound with blessings. And any kind of burdens or blessings he was able to carry because he was to say now in a sure place. You know, when people would perhaps flatter him, he would remain humble. He would stay steadfast. He would be faithful. He wasn't all about trying to build this elaborate tombstone for himself. He was looking for the good of the nation when all the other leaders were not. Um, you do see Hezekiah, there were times where he was walking with the Lord, but his ways were not found perfect before the Lord, because there were times when he did raise idols up, and there were times when he removed the idols. Same man, sometimes faithful, sometimes unfaithful. Here we see with Eliakim, um, that he would be a faithful man. And as the Bible says in Proverbs 28, 20, a faithful man shall abound with blessings. But you know, we live in a day-to-day where it is scarce to find a godly man, a faithful man, or a faithful and godly woman. Psalm 12, 1 says, help, Lord. There's this plea for help by the psalmist. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases. For the faithful fell from among the children of men. That they see the men that are faithful. They're, 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 they're gone. They're, they're, they're very few and far between. That it is a hard thing for them to find. Eliakim was, is a now, fastened though in a sure place. You know, people were to be, follow that type of model, be uh, faithful. Um, um, it's the nail, it's fastened. They come in all different sizes. Some are big, some are thin, some are not so big. They come in variety of colors. Some are long, some are short. Um, there's all kinds of nails, different purposes, and God has different types of people that he uses. But yet he does call us all to be a saint now in a sure place. Something that are going to stay faithful and stay dedicated to what God has called us to do. Now nails are appointed. And God wants us to be pointed. He wants us to be sharp. We throw away dual nails. Now here's a nail that's dual. It's not really going to have much of a purpose. And we either try to sharpen them if it's possible, or we just throw them away and grab another nail in its place that is sharp. And God does not want us to be dual Christians, but to be sharp, to be knowledgeable of the Word of God, able to teach others also. The Bible talks, Paul tells Timothy, as we preach previously, um, so not Second Timothy one two. Go ahead and go there. I know we've preached this before. I think it's a um, very important passage. 
um, and being um, shut. You know, with knowledge, there's it's like a double-edged sword. You know, there's a there's a good side and there's a bad side um, with knowledge. In the sense of there could be those that where the Bible says knowledge puff of up. You know, it just fills our ego. It could, you know, or as the Bible says, still ever learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. But God also says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because his own people would not gain and grow in their knowledge, their people are destroyed. You know, as Christians, we ought not to be ignorant. You know, we ought to be studying. We ought to um, be aware and, and to continue to learn, um, primarily learning the things of the Word of God, but in society, to be able to learn things, to know how to do things. 2 Timothy 2, 1. Paul tells Timothy, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men. Look for the faithful men, and what I have taught you, you commit to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. And you look for faithful men, look, you give them opportunities, but them teach other men as well. And then he tells that Timothy, Thou therefore endure hardness is a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And then listen to this part right here. Read this. No man the war of entangle of himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who have chosen him to be a soldier. You know, when someone is sent out to a war, to a battle, they are not consumed with the affairs that are happening back at home. They're focused. They have a mission to follow. We see that with the character of Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, where David's sitting with Bathsheba, and, and, she, and then he's like, you know what, she's with child now. Get Uriah home. We need to try and make him think this is his child. But what was Uriah? Even when he was brought home, he's like, no, I need to be out there in the battle. I need to be leading the men and be there amongst him. Who am I to be kept back here while our nation is in battle? He was not focused on the things of this life. He was not being distracted from the affairs of this life. And as we're as Christians, we need to make sure with what God has called us to do that we are not entangling ourselves with the affairs of this life, of this world, that we may please Him, God, Christ, who has chosen us to be a soldier. Nails go in a certain direction. You never see, well, I guess I shouldn't say never. I haven't seen every box of um, nails. But so far, I haven't seen um, with today with all the cultural sensitivities and just want to uh, make sure of liability. There probably is a box that says it now. But I've never seen it, a box say, hammer on this side. <laughs> never seen it say that. 
It's just kind of a given. You, you, you kind of know. Now, I know there's now starting to be like all kinds of documents um, that say all kinds of stuff for other products, but for Boston Owls, it doesn't usually say hammer this side. There's not any written things that say here, hammer on this side. You know they're to go a certain direction. It's a given, it's common sense. If nails go the wrong direction, if, if I go up like this and I'm trying to go in, I'm just going to make a bigger hole and it's not going to get fastened. It's not going to um, fasten together. They go a certain direction. And where God's called us to be faithful, we need to be making sure we're going that direction. And we're not, again, getting entangled with the affairs of this world, of this life. Ecclesiastes 10.10 says, If the iron be blunt, and he do not wet the eggs, then must he put to more strength. But wisdom is profitable to direct. And so if somebody knows that something's not sharp, it's going to take a lot more work. Okay, you're trying to chop firewood. If it's dull, it's going to take a lot more power, a lot more work to get that wood cut. Whereas if you get that sharpened first, you, you sharpen the tool, then you're able to use less strength. You're able to not get as tired, and you're able to do cleaner cuts, and it will get more done per hour, so to speak. You know, the Bible tells us, In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. We start questioning and wondering what God's will is primary, usually when we're not acknowledging him. Now, there's times where you know it, you're really seeing God, you're like, God, I'm just not sure, I really want to know. Just keep acknowledging him. Keep acknowledging the Lord, and God promises that he will direct thy paths. Trust in the Lord and lean not into thine own understanding. Trust in Him with all your heart. And in all thy ways, acknowledge Him. And if you know you're going to go on, you say, go on a vacation. You know what? Acknowledge Him in it. You know what? Give Him thanks. Give Him honor. Appreciation of what He gives you to enjoy of the fruit of your labor. Proverbs 11, 5 says, The righteousness of the perfect shall direct His way. But the wicked shall fall by his own wickedness. No, when we're doing righteous, you know, that will help lead us in our way. But the wicked, they're going to fall by their own wickedness. You know, they're talking about again that there's another rice in the, this new STD that is being deadly, that's being fatal. You know, and that's where the Bible talks about that was sexual sin, that oftentimes the consequence is built into the sin of itself, and not just sexual sin, but any types of sin, that the consequence is oftentimes self-serving, that you commit a certain sin, and you get a certain punishment without even some kind of outside force doing the chastening. The wicked shall fall by his own wickedness. Nails follow the direction of the carpenter, the direction of their master, so to speak. They do not hammer themselves in. You can set this right here, and it's not going to just go in on its own. It takes a carpenter to put it in, and a, a hammer to be used to put it in. We ought to yield to the Lord. 
and let him place us where he desires. Instead of saying, Lord, this is what we want to do. We're going to go do this. Be like, Lord, is this what you want me to do? Is this where you want me to go to? Do you want me to move? Do you want me to stay? Do you want me to go um, for, for work at this job or stay? What do you want me to do, Lord? What do you want me to do? Be faithful to God's calling. Now, direction, understand, is more important than distance. Direction is more important than distance. Okay, now distance is going to be ultimately, it's going to be important. But say I had this mower now and I was putting some drywall in and it goes in a little bit, uh, uh, not deep, okay, over time it may be able to fall loose, but it's at least going to be able to hold it up for a while than if I was to go the opposite way. Okay, if I go the opposite way, it's not going to go in. Okay, so direction is more important than distance. One can be newly saved and close to the Lord, but one could have been saved for a long time, but they're not doing right. They're not going the right direction anymore. And in this case, again, direction is more important than distance. We must go the right direction. There could be Christians that um, have been saved for a while. They have all kinds of standards and convictions for themselves. But their heart's not really there. You could be someone, a new Christian, they don't know anything about really much of the Bible, but they know they're saved, and, and they want to grow closer to the Lord, and they may not dress like you dress, they may not even talk yet like you talk, um, they may utter profanity here and there, and but they're like, oh man, I shouldn't have said that. And, and, and they, they're, it's the direction they're going. Go in the right direction. They sure they make mistakes, but they're trying to get closer to the Lord. Or sometimes when we're saved for a while, we could start backsliding and we're going the wrong direction. We see Lot pitch his tent towards Sodom. You know, and God will show them the lands, Abram and Lot, and he says, you know, here's the lands, you're gonna choose the lands, and Lot. He just pushed it towards Sodom. It wasn't that he even went into Sodom yet. He just pitched the direction towards him. That way, as he opened his tent, maybe where the sun was the sun is rising, he could see where he was coveting to go. In Genesis 13, um, verse 12, it says, Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Okay, this is where God is emphasizing here. Exceedingly sinful. That yes, we are all with sin. None of us are without sin. But man, Sodom, exceedingly sinful. And Lot, because he liked the land there better, he liked what he saw, was willing to pitch it there. And then he ends up going to going there. And then what ends up happening, a couple of angels visit him, 
And then we see that the men of the land got so depraved that they were wanting to rape the men that were in the building. And then Lot, whom the Bible says was just in that he was saved, he was righteous, but the sin vexed his soul. The people, the wickedness of Sodom, vexed his righteous soul where he made poor choices and poor decisions. And he was saying, like, no, not to these men, but here's my two daughters. Take them. What kind of father would do that? One that pitched his tent towards Sodom and then moved there. It's the direction that's more important than distance. Praise God for every sinner that is saved by the grace of God. We want to see them growing in the Lord, um, going the right direction. The Bible says, draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh unto thee. And so again, the direction you pitch your tent is where you're headed. Draw nigh unto God, and he'll draw nigh unto thee. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Sometimes we are going the wrong direction when we don't even know it. You know, there was a time my wife and I were driving in Portland and um, was into this turn, and then all of a sudden we see one of those trams coming towards us, we see cars coming towards us, and then we see in big letters, do not enter, this is one way. And so we quickly had to do a U-turn. But for a while, we did not even know we were going the wrong direction. You know, sometimes that's where it takes education, it takes teaching, it takes people being exposed to the Word of God to be able to learn things. You know, you hear about people that were deceived in darkness in various religions, and they end up finally coming to see the gospel that sets people free. They didn't know they were deceived. They didn't know they were wrong. And they needed to be taught. And that's when we don't want to be so shy from sharing the word of God that we're afraid of offending their feelings. Now, we should try to be tactful, okay? Not to try again the argument of, I'm right, you're wrong, but of really trying to show, hey, you know what, God is right, every man is a liar, you know, we, we make mistakes, mankind is fallible, but what does God say? His ways are higher. In our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and in the liberty, the freedom they can experience when they are no longer focused on all of what they're trying to do to enter paradise or heaven, but they're finally seeing they can rest in Christ. And then they'll want to serve, they'll want to do worse in honor to Him, but they're not doing it out of fear of just trying to make it. And so, you know, you want to be ready to share the gospel with people. And you don't usually go to the store and buy nails already picked. Okay? And if you have one in, in, in your garage, you pull one out, you're likely going to throw it away. You know, sometimes it's, not, sometimes it's not even worth trying to straighten it out. It's like it's not going to be as straight. Now, God can make the crooked straight. But we um, cannot so much. Don't buy them bent. You want them straight. 
And the Lord desires to use straighten out men as Joseph, Daniel, Eliakim, as we talk about in this passage. Um, is it more to take heed in our walk in the, in, in the walk of the Lord? Again, in um, Isaiah 22, it says, And I will fasten him, in verse 23, as a nail in a sure place, and he shall be for a glorious throne to his father's house, and they shall hang upon him all the glory of his father's house, the offspring and the issue, all vessels of small quantity, from the vessels of cups, to all vessels of flagons, being useful. Was it a crooked now? It was straight, and things were able to hang on him. Second Corinthians 7 1 says, Having therefore these promises, dear we beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That as Christians, we should desire to grow in the Lord. That in the fear of God, not in the sense of trying to get saved, because once we're saved, we're saved, but in pleasing Him, in honoring Him, to be a straight nail that God can use. We need to take heed on what we allow to influence us, not to allow the devil or the world to make us crooked or bent, as God wants to use us straight. You're trying to use an L like this fan. You may get old ladies out there, but it's not going to be as clean as if it was straight. And it may just get bent even more. Job 14.4 says, Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one. Either there is one, but as far as for us, there's not one. It's only Jesus that could then sanctify us and save us and make us clean. Now, sometimes when we use, use nails, we will maybe straighten them out first if needed, if that's all we have. And God can't use crooked nails and straighten them out. We see that Moses made mistakes. He committed murder. Abraham had a child um, with their handmaid. Uh, he was a crooked now in that sense, but you think how much easier things would have been if he had just trusted God, been faithful, and waited for God to bless him and serve the child. There wouldn't be the seed of Ishmael, um, um, where it would be predominantly the um, Islamic religion would come from the Arabs that would come from his seed that have been a thorn in the side of Israel since then. In the Middle East today, the nations hating, despising Israel. That would not have been happening if Abram had stayed faithful to just his wife. Did God still use him? Yes. Is there redemption? Yes. But so much better to be able to simply have the blessings of the Lord instead of the burdens of sin. You see, Saul had Christians killed, but later became the Apostle Paul. God cleansed his life, God saved him. But he told him, you know what, this thorn is going to be in your side. And he told um, what was it, Apollos that, you know what, I'm going to show him what things he must suffer. For he persecuted the Christians. There were things Paul struggled through because of his sin, even before his conversion. 
God make him straight? Yes. And God will purify us? And thankfully, he will. And you know what Jesus did say, though? You know what? There are times where, you know, we see the woman that was in sin and had her sins forgiven. And the Pharisees were like, you know, she's a hard one. You don't know the kind of things she's done. And he says, you know, her sins was her many are forgiven. And she loveth much. And then he tells the Pharisees, say, you know, you think your sins basically are few. Think they're few, but you're not forgiven. You see no need of forgiveness. Okay, so don't think that if you have a crooked past that you can't be used. God can't straighten the crooked. But man, if you're already saved, you already know the Lord. You know what? Live right. Follow the leading of the Lord. Follow the leading of that hamper. And don't try to budge against it. The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. You may still be saved, but your life is going to be much harder. Much more difficult, more trials when you're in sin. Nails are not typically noticed. Look around this room here, and you're not going to really see any nails. I guess I see one pin there. Maybe that was used to hold something up. Now I'm going to take that down because I see it there. But you know, there's lots of nails, there's hundreds of nails in here. But it's covered up. Covered up by paint, but what is more useful, the paint or the nail? So now the paint is just cosmetic. For the structure of the building, the nails are more important. Again, nails follow the direction of the carpenter. Um, God will use it. Um, nails are made um, to connect. Um, God will put a little pressure on us to strengthen us. He will purify us for his use. Um, Jesus is the master carpenter. And then, um, again, nails are made to connect. And that is what the ministry of the local church is about. We want to connect people to the Savior, Jesus Christ. We want to, as a church family, help connect people to the Savior. We want to help connect broken marriages back together. We want to reconnect a backsliding Christian to be following the Lord again. Who knows how many people are saved, but they're not in church anywhere. And that's where, you know, maybe being involved in a parade yesterday, that maybe might eventually lead to someone getting back right with the Lord and following the Lord and growing in the Lord again. We want to connect a wayward teenager back to their parents. And many times it's the other way around. We need to connect the fathers back to the children. It's Malachi 4, 6. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, And all things are of God, who have reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and have given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and have committed unto us the word of reconciliation. 
That's part of our ministry. It's the word of reconciliation, the ministry of reconciliation. When we now enter through, we'll now enter through in plywood into the floor, or drywall to the wall, they're not made to only go in halfway. They're made to go in all the way. See, with John Mark in the Bible, he abandoned the mission they were to go on. Now later, we see Barnabas gave him another chance, and Paul was able to say, he was profitable unto me in the ministry. But at first, he only went halfway. He was thinking about something at home, or it got hard, it got tough, we don't know the details, but he left. He forsook the mission. God did not call us to just go in halfway for Christ. He calls us to take on our cross, to um, um, count the cost, and to follow him full on. You know, sometimes in a relationship, the wife is all the way in, but the husband never got all the way in. And other times, it's the husband who loves the Lord, but the wife never got all the way in. And again, as I mentioned earlier, it's where I got ahead of myself. Not males are not typically noticed. Look around this room. Not going to see the nails, but they're all over the place. We ought to be a humble people, not needing the recognition. The nails in here, they're not saying, Look at me. The pain is. <laughs> but the nails serve a deeper purpose. You know, the Bible tells us, likewise, ye under submit yourselves unto the elder. Ye all of you be subject one to another. And be clothed with humility, as in 1 Peter 1, 5, 5. It says, For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and that he may exalt you in due time. And that's what we see with Shebna. He got proud. He got haughty. God brought someone else in that was humble. Someone that would be faithful to the calling, that was in it for the service, not in it just for himself. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. <coughs> now, what do nails do? They support things. They hang things. You know, sometimes we could get the mentality of, I just don't want anybody hanging on me. I don't want any pressure. <coughs> but that's what ministry is about. Being able to withstand that pressure. To be able to have people hanging on you. People depending on you. You know, and nobody calls a bartender in the middle of night when you come help us at home. It's the Christians that are fully nailed in, that are dependent. Those that are completely sold out for Christ. Be a burden bearer, as Eliakim was, that everything was able to be fastened and held onto him, as he was a nail fastened in a sure place. Nails are not meant to be removed. And now we're not really told the details here where it says um, that when Judah would fall, we're not said, did Eliakim sin, or was it just the sin of Judah? We don't know, but um, we do know that Judah did sin. But once he was pulled out of the way, the nation fell. 
You remove the nail, and that which hangs on it falls also. We're not made to quit our purpose. We're not meant to pull out from the wall. The devil will try to attack the faithful, the devoted, the leaders, to get them to fall, as he knows with, um, it will be a great discouragement to many that looked up to him or her. He's after the parents because it will affect the children. You know, you look at how many homes Satan has been successful at um, getting the marriage to break off early on and children to often be fatherless. To affect the parents, it affects the children even more. Zechariah 11.2 says, How fir tree, for the cedar is fallen, that all the smaller fir trees get collapsed, get crushed when the giant cedar tree falls. And that's what happens with leaders, that when the leaders fall, that's where the Bible says, Be not missed many masters, for we shall receive the greater condemnation. In the context of about teaching and preaching that, you know, if God's called you to do it, do it. But don't just have it be like an urge, like, oh, I just want to be able to teach and be an influencer. When we see the greater condemnation, that doesn't mean don't seek it. Be faithful, and God will put people in different positions um, for that, to teach, to preach, to, to lead, um, to help influence others. But understand if Satan could get you to fall, or the world gets you to fall, or you fall yourself through your own lust, that others are affected by it. Those that are looking to you as a leader. Now I've said this before that okay, you know what? I'm just but flesh, just trying to preach and teach the word of God. You don't want to put me up on a pedestal. The only reason I'm on the platform. It's just so you can see, okay? But in your hearts and your minds, don't put anyone too high on a pedestal. Now, should we lift one another up, encourage each other? Yes. But don't put someone so much on a pedestal that if they fall, that shakes your faith. You want your dependence, your trust to be in the Lord, not in the flesh of man. However, it would be lying to... To really say that, hey, you know what, say if I was to go sin, go and then leave, that it wouldn't affect anybody. You know what, it would affect people. Now hopefully people, hopefully that doesn't happen, okay? But hopefully when you, there's leaders in your life and you see them fall, or you find out secret sins you didn't know about, but you notice the Bible says, be sure your sin shall find you out, that God has a way of opening and revealing things. And as for many sin, man, repent, get it right, purify your hearts before the Lord, and um, be faithful. But um, when they fall, you want to be able to be, continue to go on and be faithful, but it crushes people. You know, parents, when they sin, it crushes the children. You know, when some teacher in a school comes into some kind of scandal, it negatively affects the children. People are hurt by it. We're not meant to pull out. We're to stay fastened. Sin pulls us from out from being faithful, fruitful Christians. 
You never read on a tombstone, I wish I had sinned more. But many will confess, I wish there was one day or one season of my life that I wish I could do over and make the right decisions. How often could be we're like, man, I wish I could do this over. And of course we can't always redo those kinds of things. And sometimes those mistakes that we've made are parts of shaping and building us. And so sometimes those can be helpful, but sin is never helpful. Sometimes we pull out, we disengage because we're discouraged. Have you noticed pulling out is never the answer to being discouraged, to becoming encouraged again? That's going to more likely lead to depression when we just pull out because we're discouraged. Learn to be like, those that have, you know, they're discouraged, and they're like, you know what, I'm going to go find somewhere to serve. Seeing people that they were down, and they go, and they go help and serve in a nursing home. Just as a volunteer, go visit people in the hospital, um, or go help out in the parade. You know, there could be people that were having a down day, and they come, and they serve in a parade, they see the smiling children, they pass out a candy and give out gospel tracts, and God gives a sense of fulfillment in those things. So when you're discouraged, don't pull away. That's when you need to be more engaged. You know, you take some hot coals and you pull one out, and this one that's alone does not burn longer. It doesn't get more on fire, more hot. That's not proper English, but um, it doesn't get hotter, okay? It starts to cool down. And that's where, you know, when you're discouraged, that's where you're going to even need the church even more, okay? You need to stay together to edify one another. Moreover, it's requiring stewards that a man be found faithful. You know, read in Isaiah 53 that Christ himself is prophesied that he was nailed in a sure place for us. Do not try to come off that cross. Stay. Said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Had the heart to forgive those that were crucifying him. It's tough. Tasted hell on that cross. Yet he stayed faithful. Now he does not ask us to crucify ourselves. Now, yes, there's been times there's been martyrs, but you know what? When persecution has risen and tried to stamp out people and persecuted people were burned into state. Fox says in his book of martyrs, the martyrs were the seed of the truth. That it continued, it grew, it blossomed, it bore fruit. That the persecution could not stand it out. You know, you saw it even during the COVID lockdowns that um, people that hardly ever went to church, all of a sudden they wanted to go to church. Some of them wanted to do it just out of defiance, right? I'm going to go, even though they never went. Others that were faithful and they wanted to continue to go because that's and it whereas Daniel says he was having his heart to pray um, three times a day, and he did not stop when they outruled it, he continued to do so. 
But sometimes people do things just because they want to do things out of rebellion. And that's not the spirit we want to have, that that to be the motive. We want it to be the grace of God that motivates us, the love of Christ that constrains us. Let's go ahead and pray. We'll have a brief time of invitation. So songs play so we're at Christ stayed on that cross for us. May our reasonable service simply be a living sacrifice to you. The godly man sees the godly man sees May a faithful man shall abound with blessings. Bible says, who can find a faithful man? Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above her means. They're rare. But may that rarity be all found here. And hopefully other places as well, of course. But let that be commonplace in our church. To have faithful men, faithful women, faithful teenagers, faithful children. They say, now fasten to a sure place. They're like, God, I will serve you. I will love you. I will give you my all, my heart, my soul, my mind, all my strength. Make that commitment unto the Lord. You're going to be fastened like it. Not be entangled with the affairs of this life. Say your spirit would help us to abide faithful. Be faithful men and women of God, children of God. Help us, Lord, to be faithful. Help us when we have periods of doubt. That man said, Help thou, I, I believe, Lord, but help thou my unbelief. Thank you, Lord, that you stayed fast and for us. And then you rose again. Lord, if there's someone in here that doesn't know you as your Savior, if they don't know you, then they wouldn't have eternal life. And they don't know if heaven would be their home. And they would talk with one of us who would show them from your word how they can have eternal life. That's through faith in Jesus alone. Lord, help us to be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, God bless you. Shake hands, folks. You'll be friendly. Hope you enjoying your summer and continue to enjoy your summer. But remain faithful to the Lord. Lift him up, honor him, acknowledge him in all thy ways. Amen.